We're back. Does feel good to do this again, as you may have heard from my fairly recent drop. I'll be gradually transitioning my other podcast, Culture Rot, into streaming and YouTube territory. I'll post more on that later on the Culture Rot feed, but my pure podcast focus will be here on the Documenteers, and it feels good to be back. And your enthusiastic responses mean a lot, and I know I got a great foundation to grow the Documenteers even further. We're going to war with the podcasting universe this go-around. Season 2, though it's not really... I don't I don't actually think about this in seasons, so that's a little tongue-in-cheek, but I do want to push this podcast further and see what I can do with it. Basically, I got a chip on my shoulder. I'm getting up in big podcast face. For every podcast out there that's been pushed around, change the music to something inspirational. We're not going to let big podcasts monopolize this industry with shit like money. Yo, this music is that porny music I found. Do we not have anything more driving and inspirational? Uh, This is all we got right now. I left the hard drive at the Harley-Davidson store. That hard drive has stuff we need. I'll pick it up tomorrow. I hang out at the Harley-Davidson store almost every day. Okay. I mean, this bed music is great, but now I feel like the momentum's gone. But basically, we're building a revolution. And any highfalutin podcast that get in our way will just be stepping stones for our eventual domination. We'll be calling a few of you out. It's been so long since I've done this, I almost forgot. My name is Bob Sham, and I welcome you to the Documenteers the greatest documentary theme podcast in the universe and beyond. I am your main host, and each week a friend, or often my wife, joins me to discuss a different documentary and lay down our judgment with our Herzog rating system. On this episode, Angela and I will be discussing the winner of Best Documentary at this past Academy Awards. I've actually watched very few documentaries this past year off from the show, mostly mostly wrestling documentaries. I watched that doc about Action Park and one about trans culture. I think it was called Disclosure. One informative, one was kind of fun. I've been watching the A&E wrestler biographies, some good, some just okay. I've missed watching docs, and I'm excited to do so again. Moving forward, I think all of my solo talking will be at the end of the episodes. Just get right into that meat, that doc meat, that sweet, sweet doc meat. Let's do this show. Welcome back. Here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet, 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. that connection with that animal and have those experiences. It's absolutely mind-blowing. There's no greater feeling on Earth. The boundaries between her and I seem to dissolve just the pure magnificence of her. I think I need to switch to V-necks because this feels like it's too much on my throat. Mm. Like an infant's trying to choke me. So crew crew necks equal choking infants.
Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So um, now you got to question everyone who's into wearing them. I have a crew neck on right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm, all my <laughs> shirts are crew necks. We could, uh, I could cut, I could cut you little slits in there. Well, that's, you usually cut your... I do cut a lot of my t-shirts apart. So you turn your crew necks into... Um, boat necks. Boat necks, is that, yeah? Tip, yeah, boat neck would be the right name. Welcome back. Hey, thanks. Wait, were you talking to me? Yeah. Or were you talking to... Everyone. Everyone. Everyone, welcome back. <laughs> With fanfare we have returned. I have gotten some very nice responses from yes. people online. Culture Ot will be... I'll have to kind of build that up in another medium. That's not going to go away. It's just going to be like another branch. There might be people who are listening to this who don't even know what Culture Ot is because... They never came over. I think there's probably a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we tried. Uh, there was a side project for a bit that is evolving. When I said, hey, I'm going to just do this new thing called culture out, <laughs> people were like, cool, cool. And then when I said, you know, I, I think I'm going to move this somewhere else and bring back documentaries, people were like, yes, yeah! yes. <laughs> oh, God. Which, you know what? I'm glad I took that there's a blank year in documentaries because... It showed me what I missed from it. Yeah. And it showed our listeners what they missed from it. So good. Don't want to get you too settled in. <laughs> you know? I want to be open to taking small breaks in the future, though. You know? If I need to. Yeah. Because I think the last time I felt burned out, right? And I wanted to try something new. But it was really just the process of podcasting itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't realize that until much later, you know? But, you know, we're back, so, um, and while we've been gone, in the span of time we've been gone, another documentary-themed podcast has come up. Hey, before we talk about them, should you introduce yourself, just in case? We might have new people. I'm Bob Sham. I'm Angela. I'm the main host of the Documenters Podcast. We talk about documentaries because the subjects of documentaries, whether good or bad, or forced or faked or whatever are often referencing, like, real issues in the world. So yeah, when you talk about documentaries, you talk about everything. And that's kind of the point of the documentaries. It is, we love movies, mm-hmm. but it also allows us to analyze things and learn things. So Yeah, so Bob's the main host, and I am the best co-host. I think that's true, though, but you have done more than everyone else. Yeah. Documentaries, welcome back. There has been a new podcast, a documentary podcast that has come up while we were gone. Yep. And they are, they're uh, famous peoples. They've been in movies. They've been in, they've got the comedy books. specials. They have books. Whoa, is Arl, did Arl Stein start up a documentary? <laughs> thing He's the best author. <laughs> I was a big fan. Arl Stein, Christopher Pike. Is there like, um, what the fuck am I about to say? <laughs> Does anyone like ever, <laughs> do people ever like sexually role play like their favorite authors, movie stars, stuff like that? Oh, like, um, like you pretend to be R.L. Stein? Yeah, like one night to spice things up. <laughs> <laughs> I guess maybe like if you knew a lot about them personally, seems like you might be more likely to role play the characters they created. I wouldn't know how to start acting like R.L. Stein. I didn't watch that movie. I bet some people have pretended to be Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, those people are so fun to hang out with. <laughs> I could actually imagine many people <laughs> doing that. What does Shakespeare say when he comes? I'm not sending up a joke. I just want to know. Wherefore art thou? No. <laughs> it's like the most basic Shakespeare. What is... No, but we're talking about uh, while we've been gone, the comedian, since you've been gone... Who sang that? Since you've been gone. Who sang that? Uh... I can't breathe for the first Who's time. Kelly it? Clarkson, I was trying to get there. Hey, <laughs> calm down. You calm down. Kelly Clarkson. Kelly Clarkson did not start a documentary theme podcast. No. Who? 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 What, what show am I? What's this show called? It's called True Story, and it's Tignataro and Cheryl Hines. Tignataro, she's uh, she's uh, like um, a comedian who's she's funny. I love her. I think she's funny. Yeah. Kind of has this monotone approach. She's kind of from that batch of like quirky comedians uh, from years back. I think she's one of the better ones. Yeah. More like, but like funnier than say like a Dimitri Martin who's like, look at my funny pictures and shit like that. (laughs) Honestly, there's so much comedy from that time that I was into. And now that I'm, you know, moved on from it, it's like a lot of that just feels so disposable. But Tig is one of the better ones. And then the other is Cheryl Hines. Mm-hmm. The, she's going to inherit the Hines ketchup I don't think empire. so. I don't think that's true. She played Larry David's wife on Curb Your Enthusiasm. She did. She's married to Bobby Kennedy. All I'm saying is with these, with uh, Tig and Cheryl, you can stop now. Oh, yeah, we're back. So yeah, it's cool. there's no point. We're talking about they're, they're coming from their ivory tower, right? So they got all these... <laughs> Listeners, right off the bat, you've heard this show, which we, that's a problem that you listen to it. I do listen to it. I actually started listening to it because I really like Tig, and honestly, because I missed our podcast. (laughs) You just wanted to hear about documentaries? I wanted to listen to the show about documentaries. Now, but you can stop now. I can stop now, and also, I will say, they redid some stuff we'd already done, and- My unbiased professional opinion is that our episodes are better. That's where I'm going. That's why there's no point in them doing it anymore. Yeah, they filled a gap. We're back. Yeah, you filled. We get it. They served a purpose. But now you can stop. Totally. So stop doing it, and uh, we'll give them a week or two to see if they stop doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, we'll have to amp up. We're gonna have to amp up the the venom. And uh, you don't want to know the places I'm going to go. And there are some places I can go to drag mm-hmm. some people on that show. I really can. Uh-oh. But I just want to give them a chance to step aside. Go back to your enclave in Los Angeles. Uh, go to the skyscraper and tell Big Podcast that you want to do a whole different idea. Tig has other podcasts. Exactly. Already. Just do those. Yeah. Go back to Big Podcasts in your ivory towers with your other famous people. And um, we're good on this subject. Yeah. You're not going to do it better than we are. And to prove it, I I did look through their feed. And I saw they did this movie called My Octopus Teacher. So Mm -hmm. I was like, we're going to do this one. Show them how it's done. Also, and I didn't realize this until after I decided we were going to do this because I don't watch that shit. But My Octopus Teacher won Best Documentary at the last uh, Oscars. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. So every year we've done documenteers, except for the very first one, which was first year, which Icarus won. We that's the only one 
since we've started that we haven't covered on the show. But I did watch Icarus on my own before we started Documenteers, and this is pretty good. So, so yeah, we're going to do My Octopus Teacher to show them. How, what was their approach to My Octopus Teacher? Well, how did they talk about it? You know, they loosely tell the story. They always do this thing where they talk about, like, did they cry or not? They talk about, like, who were you attracted to? It's a sweet documentary about a man and an octopus. Okay. And for some reason, they tried to make it sexual. Well, look, I understand, actually. Bestiality sells. <laughs> Let me tell you, the most popular Documenteers episodes are Zoo, which was literally about bestiality. True, true. And, and Grizzly Man, where Akil and I are constantly implying that bestiality is taking place. That man really did love those bears a lot. He did. So, did they go hardcore on this? Like, the octopus was sucking his dick? That was implied at one point. It was like, what you know, was he mm-hmm. going home and, like, thinking about this octopus? Uh, was there footage that we didn't actually see uh, talking about her suckers? Wow, so they went hard. I didn't know they were so pervy. <laughs> I figured they'd go for that, like, NPR crowd that thinks shit like, wait, wait, don't tell me it's funny. Like, I figured they'd go for... That'd be more it's their a audience. little. It's a. I guess it's a little uh, more blue than your NPR. I like that. Like you were telling me, you told me previously that they were trying to make it sexual. Yeah. When literally I sexualize half the shit I talk about <laughs> on this show. You said that to me. Like, can you believe they did that? And I'm sitting here like, I kind of planned on doing that, but. Well, you told. I mean, listen. You totally can. I watched it. I didn't. I didn't. I mean, I guess I did have that thought, but it was because it had already been implanted in my head. I don't know if I would have. If I would have gone there, I don't know. Well, you wouldn't. You're, the, you're like this straight person in the conversation. Right, right, so, right, right. But uh, Tig, Nataro, Cheryl Hines, you can stop. Also, listen to this episode. We're about to show you how it's done. So we're about to talk about My Octopus Teacher by Pippa Ehrlich and James Reed. This uh, story takes place in South Africa. Oh, don't do that. That's my South Africa. It's the only thing I can say in the act. <laughs> South that, Africa. Is that right? South Africa. Uh, South Africa. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Western Cape, South Africa is where he grew up. Yes. And uh, coastal South Africa, the Cape of Storms. I'll say right off, this title's corny. It's a corny title, My Octopus Teacher. It is. You can predict just from the title that this is going to be like a... I thought I was teaching the octopus, but the octopus (laughs) was teaching me. Yeah, I I wish it hadn't been so obvious because then the build-up to him finding the octopus and getting to know the octopus, you might not have known what was going to happen. But in this case, you knew they were going to know each other because... It's in the title. Also, there's, you know, documentaries can be full of lies. <laughs> it makes us think that the thing that we're seeing is what's happening in that linear moment that they're dictating. Mm. When, when, And I'm sure it's like that with nature docs. You mean documentaries can be full of lies. You said documenteers can be full of lies. <laughs> Did I say that? Yes. Well, we never lie. <laughs> documenteers is We are honest. Full of lies. Honest in the end. <laughs> so this dude who what is his fucking name i did not write his name down oh god 
Well, isn't he Jeff James Reed? Is he not? No, no. Oh. Did these directors just edit the footage together? Didn't he take all the footage? Yeah, so... I should look up I don't know name, his name honestly. because the thing is, is there's no other person talking in this documentary ever. So I'm sure while he might have introduced himself at the beginning, I don't know that I ever knew his name. He says his son's name, I believe, is Tom. This motherfucker's name is Star? No. It's human. Star Greg. Craig Foster. Craig Foster. I mean, his ma- his name might actually be. Oh. It's human star. <laughs> the star of the, the human star of the movie. I read. Craig Foster. The title of that article was laid out very weird. I thought this motherfucker's name was Star. Craig Foster. That's the dude. So Craig Foster. The Craigulator. Grown up. Craigers. That's what we, I used to call a guy named Craig. <laughs> Craigers. So Greg had grown up on the coast in South Africa. South Africa? And he, he was diving every day as a child, swimming all the time, and he felt really connected to nature. He didn't really realize that other people didn't grow up like that, right? And so he did grow with, up. With, intent, with immense privilege? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so he's all the time in the water, like spending time with animals in nature, and he's super happy, well-adjusted childhood, right? But then he goes into the real world, and he starts being a documentary filmmaker. He's, yeah, he's a filmmaker, and he talks about how he went to film... A movie uh, called The Great Dance Movie. About these trackers that are supposed to be, like, the greatest trackers on the planet, like... Up in somewhere in Africa, up north. Oh, I'm sure it was just called the Great Dance, not the Great Dance movie. Um, and it was Ma- a Great Dance or something. Central Kalahari. Yeah. And he's making the movie with his brother, and he's fascinated by these men who are tracking these animals and how tuned in they are to nature, and it made him miss being so tuned into nature. I mean, he's already attuned to nature, which is interesting. Later, he says he didn't really care much about animals until the octopus, which was weird because he also seems to understand the nature inherently and, like, the nuances of it. And I felt like him connecting the great dance to this later is very forced. I mean, it's a connection. I, I mean, we're essentially getting a beautiful nature documentary with the dude's emotions completely overlaid through the whole thing. That's true. It's, it's not like David Attenborough who's trying to, you know, educate you. I think this guy is trying to educate you, but but it's different. It's through his feelings, and you do understand that. But he was burnt out on being a filmmaker. He said he didn't want to look at another camera again. But he, he had said that he didn't think it was fair to his son to essentially not do what he wanted to do, which was diving, I guess. Well, what he said was that he he was so unhappy living his day-to-day life that he wasn't being a good father and his family was suffering. So he felt that if he wanted to be a good father to his son, then he needed to be happy. So listen, all you dads out there who, um, if you just have to settle for a job that you got, if you're unhappy... At your job. And yeah, you're not, sure, you're not like inherently rich or something. You got to take what you can get to feed your family. If it's not like the thing you want to do and doesn't make you happy, you're not being fair to your kids. (laughs) Well, and 
the other thing was like, so his answer to that was, we need to, I need to be in the ocean. So two, I want to spend more time with my son and be a better father. I'm going to go spend all day alone in the ocean. That was the answer do you, to that. Do you think the wife just didn't want to be in this documentary? Yeah. Or he told her like, hey, what's your name? Don't be in my movie. You see the back of her washing dishes at one point. Yeah. That's it. You see the kid quite a bit towards the end especially. But yeah, I think she either didn't want to be involved or... I heard there's cuts... It just wasn't about her. I heard there's cut scenes where she's vacuuming too. (laughs) Cooking Uh, cooking dinner. Yeah, and another scene where you see her just staring out the window at the ocean crying. It it genuinely takes privilege to get to do what you want all the time. I feel fairly privileged because I do feel like at least most of the time I get to do what I want. I did wonder seriously. It wasn't clear to me whether he went back to live in the same house where he'd grown up or not. But it, it, I did wonder how does he afford to do this? Because he literally starts diving every single day for a solid year. This yeah. is his job as he's diving and filming all this amazing stuff. But and where is the money? Maybe that's why she wasn't in it. Maybe she had to work 24 hours a day or they for have, him to afford this life. Or they're fucking rich and he just yeah. didn't need to. Yeah. Or maybe he was paid in seashells that the other animals <laughs> gave him while he was diving around and... He tried to pay his property tax and seashells, and they were like, aren't you that rich guy? And he's like, yeah. I was like, we'll accept your seashells. So he starts he starts going out there and diving every single day, and he... No he's, tank. No tank. He's diving. Snorkeling. Just literally, he's like, shorts, a snorkel. Free diving. He's got, like, a belt with some, like, tools on it and stuff, but he's free diving. And the degrees, it's, like, eight or nine degrees Celsius mm-hmm. in this water. And he talks about how it's so cold, but you kind of, you get used to it. And then after a while, you kind of start craving being in this cold. It really seemed to me, especially at the beginning, that this was just sort of very meditative for him. So this was like his, whatever, this was like his therapy or something. Like he felt like this was where he needed to be and what he needed. And so he's just like swimming around in like these kelp forests underwater. This is gorgeous stuff. Oh, it's a beautiful movie. It's very beautiful. Uh, So he comes across this ball of seashells. Yeah. And he's like, what is this? He's filming all of this, by what, the way. What, all what the, the fuck is this? Yeah. And he's free diving, so he's constantly, it doesn't show, he definitely references these more dramatic moments where he has to go up and take a breath. It only shows it like three times, maybe. But you got to remember that this guy is constantly coming up and down. How long do you think he can hold his breath? I wish he told us. He he didn't give a number. He did say that over time he was able to hold his breath for longer and longer. But I mean, there's got to be a limit. I wonder what the Guinness Book World Record is for the longest you can hold your breath. You've really got to have a calmness. Yeah. When you're diving like this. Mm-hmm. Or even with a tank or deep. I mean, you have to have like some place in your brain in which you can... Panic will get you killed, especially when you're in those intense cave diving scenarios and shit. So Yeah. So there's a ball of shells, and he's staring at it. He's like, what the fuck is this? There's even fish like kind of swimming around it, like looking at it, like, what's up with this ball? And then an octopus flies out. Mm-hmm. It like throws all the shells off and swims away. He says that there's something unique about this creature. And, it, and he becomes dedicated to coming every day. And coming is spelled C-U-M-M-I. 
<laughs> so they oh, start with like this was day one, right? And we find out pretty quickly that the octopus only lives for about a year. I did not know that. I didn't know that either. And I immediately, I think I said that out loud. Like, did you know that? I. It's crazy to me, but yeah, this, I don't know if other octopus live longer, but this octopus, it's a year. And so because he was able to follow her for so long, we do find out it's a she, follow her for so long that he obviously met her sort of when she was very young. She is a... Kind of a basic octopus. That's basically what he said. Octopus... Something with a V. I can't remember. He actually did give her official name at one point. She's I, little. She's pretty small. She didn't have a name. He never gave no, it to I her. No, I don't mean her, like, name name. I mean the kind of octopus she was. The octopus vulgaris. That's what it was. A vulgaris octopus. Yeah, octopus vulgaris. But yeah, I, I, I just looked it up. One to two years. I bet in captivity they can probably be a little closer to two. Mm, yeah, because we also learn there's a lot of dangerous shit out here in this water for her he starts to leave a camera just in front of her den and just (laughs) leaving it there which like that right there those cameras are so expensive that's pretty sure that's tens of thousands of dollars right there if not even higher yeah he just really really wanted to see her and he she was scared of him understandably so he knew where her den was and yeah he would just go down leave the camera and then he'd go do other things for a while and then come back and get the camera he showed at one point she got really curious about it and would start touching it and stuff and she would even sometimes like knock it down so it just a whole day lost of just ground floor oh ocean floor when he first encounters the octopus he calls it creature and calls it her and at first i'm like what if this thing's a dude he just keeps calling it her but then we do Something happens at the end where it's like, oh, yeah, it is female. The word octopus mm. did not get spoken for 17 minutes and 20 seconds into this oh, movie. Oh, I did not know that. Because at first it's just like creature, huh? her, it, and then it becomes octopus. Weird. I wonder why. Uh, so 20-something days later, she's getting more and more curious, and she finally touches his hand. And he's really excited about this moment, but he has to go up and breathe. So yeah. it's like an awkward. I was wondering at some point, I'm like, just wear the tank. But well, would the tank like freak things out? What he said was that because of how close the kelp forest is, oh, right. like swimming through those, it's basically trees, like underwater trees. And it would be too difficult to get through there. And he doesn't want to damage anything. But he did also say at one point that he chose not to wear a wetsuit even. Because to truly be one with the space, you can't have any barriers between you and the nature. So we then see all the cool things that octopuses can do, or octopi. What's the plural there? It's octopuses. I, I did want to say, like, when <laughs> she reached funny out, when you say it I know, I know. Pusses, it is, octopuses, octop- octopuses. When she reached out that first time and touched him, it felt she feels very feline to me. Mm. This little octopus reminds me very much of, like, a cat and, like, the tentativeness of a cat and how you have to, like, earn its trust. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking about a roommate's cat that lets us pet it, like, once every two months. <laughs> I, I honestly also made that connection. Yeah. And I could feel it, like, from one minute to the next. Okay, I trust you. I trust you, human. And now you can come into my octopus world. 
But man, they can change colors. They can kind of like inflate their body. They can do all kinds of. They can grow little horns. It was instantly amazing how they would just land on something and turn the same color as that thing. And I know that's I know that's a thing that happens in nature, but it there's some really cool cool shots in this. So she starts to then follow him when she realizes he's not a threat. And at one point, a lens drops and it scares her off. So. She's very easily spooked, very cautious. I mean, she is a wild animal. This is where they kind of put the the comparison to those trackers that he was with in the Central Kalahari because she gets so scared by this lens dropping that she moves out of her den. Like, she's so afraid of him and, and this thing at this moment that she completely moves. And so he spends a solid week tracking her. But this is where the connection is, like, bullshit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because he does describe how he's trying to figure out how to track her. Mm-hmm. And he's talking, like, the move. Now, when he first says he needs to track the octopus, look, I'm not a tracking expert, but the first thing that popped in my mind was, what do they eat? And you can look for the carcasses. Yeah. The, like, crabs and shells and shit. They do talk about that at some so point. So he starts talking, well, that's how he finds her. Yeah. And th- But first he's like, oh, so I started to look for the tracks in the ocean. But he couldn't figure it out. Yeah. He didn't know what he was doing. He, he was, well, he made that connection. Like, he did this <laughs> movie to do here, but his tracking didn't work. He found the octopus by doing the first thing I thought he yeah. should do, which was just look for the carcasses of the shit she eats. Yeah. And that's how he actually found her. I mean, the, the movie about the tracker seems completely interesting in its own right he's make he's telling it in this way he's just throwing he's throwing out a credit basically but when he did find her again that was really cool because she pretty much right away was like oh it's you i know you and she immediately comes out and this was when she like completely wrapped around his hand right because there's one point where she like completely wraps around his hand and he realizes oh shit i need to breathe but instead of trying to, like, unattach her entire body from him, because she's got 2,000 little sucker deals on her tentacles, he actually goes up to the surface, and she comes with him. Like, she lets him bring her to the surface, which is really crazy, actually. Yeah. And those suckers act independently. It's like fingers. Yeah, it's like having 2,000 fingers. That's wild. So, yeah, the octopus has a lot of trust here. So he then is like, okay, I'm just going to go again every single day, hang out with her every single day. Like he's been doing anyway. Yep. When he can't find her, he's looking for her. This, I think, is when we learn about the pajama sharks, which... We learn about them early on, but they're the main predator of the film. Well, I guess this is when they become more... I just like that they're called pajama sharks. Because they're striped. Mm-hmm. Who wears striped pajamas? I figure they call them, like, prisoner sharks or something. Well, old school, like... You think about, like, Do they you wear know, a... Dick Van Dyke in the Dick Van Dyke shows wearing, like, striped pajamas going to bed in his double beds with his wife. Do they wear a lot of striped pajamas in South Africa? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> he asked, why would a wild animal doing its thing get anything out of this strange human creature visiting? And this is where it gets interesting. I think quite stimulating for that huge intelligence. He knows what he gets out of it, projecting all of his emotions and his failing marriage onto her. (laughs) But what does she get out of this? But, like, he points out that she is an intelligent creature. Yeah. And interacting with things is, it boosts intelligence or it 
it fosters that intelligence. So Yeah, the intelligence is on the level of a cat or a dog or like a lower primate. Again, she very much felt like a cat to me. I, it was interesting because... Man, you got that parasite in your body. About cats? The cat parasite. The, the parasite yeah. that makes you love cats. I know. So I know. Because you're comparing everything to cats. You were talking about how the mailbox reminded you of a cat. <laughs> Although it's black. You were eating a... Like my cat yeah. that I'm looking at right now. You were eating like a burger and I was like, <laughs> oh, this, is, this burger's so cat-like. I did not, did not do that at all. This octopus is like a cat. But, so, this is when we start seeing like the pajama sharks are trying to like get her and he he says at first he's super worried about her safety but you know because he's seen that she can hide herself and she can camouflage like then he's like okay she's gonna be fine but then there is a day where the pajama shark gets real close Mm -hmm. and he actually thinks to himself i want to intervene here i want to like scare these pajama sharks away so that this pajama shark does not get her but he decides like i can't intervene in like the natural order but he already has. I would argue he already has been this and entire does, time. And attempts to do so in small ways yes, later on. it does because I think of his guilt of not defending her in this moment. Because he actually has to watch, because he's there observing, a pajama shark bite off one of her tentacles. Yeah. The pajama sharks, like, they are said to be aggressive. These kind of smaller... They're little, Shallow water yeah. sharks tend to be like that. Like, mm-hmm. they're not the sharks that you think of like like great whites are their aggression level is actually a lot lower than than a lot of like the smaller kind that you can encounter but yeah so i was like why don't you just can you scare the shark away because the shark obviously is not going to come after him because he's much bigger than the shark like the shark's very aggressive but things that are smaller yeah things that are smaller and so yeah like he could have just scared the shark away but he didn't so he watched her be injured I respect the position, but yeah. I, but he's already so emotionally connected. Mm-hmm. He, like I said, he's not David Attenborough. He seems to have a lot of knowledge. Which, by the way, there's a scene in which he then is like, "Now I'm going to do re- do research on the octopus," and you see <laughs> yeah. like a background scroll of like the octopus wiki page or some shit. Yeah, and it's uh, and it's cool, but it seems like it seems weird, like. Because he seems to have such a lot of inherent knowledge, and then but the story unfolds like halfway through this fairly interpersonal relationship. Then he decides to do some research. On well, octopus. I don't know if he didn't research until then. That's but what I'm just saying. How the documentary that is how made the documentary seem. made it seem. But I feel like at that point they were trying to get across how obsessed with her he was, because he was saying all I could do at the time was just think of her. In the water and on land. I mean, it just became a bit of an obsession. Once she re- obtained complete trust, she then maintained the color of human cum. Come into my octopus world. No, God, shut up. She did not. You think you can outperv me, Cheryl Hines? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So she's injured and her tentacle's gone and she's very, she gets a little sick. And she goes and she's hiding in her new den. And he goes to her and he feels so bad. He feels guilty for not saving her before. He wants to help her, but he doesn't know what to do. And so he feeds her. Yeah. 
And that, again, is him intervening where he should not also. I think he said she didn't eat right then, though. Like, it didn't matter. But yeah, I think was he just, said it didn't matter at all. She was just naturally getting her bearings together. But he's killing an animal for another animal. Mm. Like, he has. He's a contradiction. He's awful. I mean, awful is kind of a strong word. <laughs> Okay, he's a contradiction. Privileged yuppie, yeah. Okay, yeah, there's but that. But, like, awful, I don't know. He's fine. Not awful. Yeah, awful. Okay, awful What strong. a piece of shit this guy awful is. Awful strong. This motherfucker. What's your name? Star something? <laughs> <laughs> Craig Ooh. Foster, you're a monster. There's a lot also in this, especially in Before He Meets Her, of all these other amazing creatures that are all around. Yeah. Right down there. And... There is a bit where you watch her hunt and catch a crab. Yeah. I believe this is after she's healed. She kind of gets like a little baby tentacle. Like she regrows. Yeah, yeah. Her little tentacle. It's actually very cute. Octopi, octopuses. Octopuses. Are nocturnal. And so he's always seeing her during the day. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he's it, never seen her hunt or anything. It makes me think like, do you just keep waking her up? Like, is that what's going on? I think so. But so, so he can always find her because he's always in her den and sleeping. He, he does go with a flashlight and tracks her at night, but she's just so particularly focused on hunting at that time. Yeah, she's not paying attention to him. No, but she's not scared of him. He's like, That's true. It's like a part of the environment. She also apparently at some point tries to start catching lobster, but she just can't. He was so sad about her losing a limb to the um, pajama shark. He blamed himself. I felt very vulnerable, as if... Somehow what happened to her happened to me in some strange way. Oh, yeah. This, and, was, uh, this was... And then he started thinking about his mortality in family. And <laughs> when he said it was like his own dismembering, maybe emotionally. Look, I get this guy is emotionally connected. I'm convinced. But it just seems kind of like. It was a lot. There were things in this movie um, that he goes on about and his relationship with the octopus. There's a point where he's, like, talking about the ecosystem. He's talking about how he's fascinated by how everything connects with everything. And I'm thinking, like, yeah, it's an ecosystem. And I, uh, But I think, honestly, like, I understand why it blows his mind because he's there in person. But for me, sitting at home, it's like you're describing an ecosystem. Like, mm-hmm. anyone who's been through third-grade science understands the inherent nature of an ecosystem. I think it was just one of those things that even though we could see it, his emotions didn't always translate. And uh, But I could also see how his emotions would just be very hard to translate because, yeah. and even put into words. And to the point where that actually may be a part of what makes him sound so corny sometimes. Yeah. But I wasn't convinced that he was like, I honestly don't think he was playing it up for the cameras. I actually felt like he was this corny like half the time i i think that's true i think that he this was very emotional for him even the telling of this story so his son gets really into diving um yeah we don't see him a lot kind of until now but we find out that his son has been going down there has met her so maybe that's where some of these shots are who's who's filming some of these shots that we're seeing of of them together the arm is fully regrown after about a hundred days also tries to hunt a, a lobster, and I gotta admit, I didn't. It makes sense. I didn't. I never saw a lobster swim before. It was where, interesting where to it see. like flips its ass like upward, mm-hmm. and then just flops that. I mean, it makes sense, of course. 
Yeah. Because usually when we see a lobster, it's in like a tank in a restaurant, right? And it's just kind of scurrying. But yeah, so she has to be a little more crafty with the lobster. And she uses the dude to corral it. And then and, and managed to develop. We we see her like missing the lobster mm-hmm. multiple times, and then finally uses the guy to distract the lobster and balloons right over it. That's probably one of my favorite parts, honestly. It really was. Also, <laughs> forgot about this in the beginning, but she does this thing sometimes where she walks on two feet. And the ballooning made me think of this because she almost like spreads out all of her top tentacles and like spirals them around to where it looks like a lady wearing a dress. And then she uses two of her tentacles to like walk along the ground. She's just very cool. Like the stuff she can do with her, her body is amazing. So one day it's too perfect out in the kelp forest, he says. Foreshadowing. Uh, And then a shark comes up, pajama shark. That's the kind we see. It's tracking her and it is not laying off of her. She wraps herself all up in kelp. The shark starts biting the kelp, so she shoots out. And at one point, she crawls out of the water, and he follows her. Yeah, she's on the land. But she has to go back down, so she does, and the chase is just right back on again. So she's having a hard time getting rid of this um, pajama shark, at least as the narrative and the shots we see as they're portrayed, portray this a dramatic sequence. We don't know what shots were really a part of that sequence of what were it, right? That's true. You know, documenteers is lies. <laughs> documenteers <laughs> can lie. It's okay. Sometimes you gotta lie a little. But she does that thing where she covers herself in loads of shells like when he first met her. You could tell, though, she didn't do as good of a job this time. Because the first time when we saw it, you didn't, you didn't see any tentacles. Or maybe we just didn't know what you were looking at. Like, she was very, very covered. It looked like a pile of shells. And this one, she had to do it very quickly, obviously. It was very impressive, though. It was very impressive, but it wasn't good enough. Well, the shark grabs her, or at least has, like, shells in its mouth. No, yeah. Because these, these sharks can't see for shit, but they can smell amazing. Yeah. So that's how they track. The shark has her, and it's starting to shake around like that alligator spin that you see. Mm-hmm. And so he's got a surface. And when he comes back. And it's like, okay, now this is too crazy. Somehow she's managed to maneuver herself into the least dangerous place. And that's on the, on the shark's back. I wish we'd seen how that happened. The shark goes into the kelp. Seems a little confused and weirdly calm. Uh, it goes into the shelf and she just gently just kind of like backs off the shark and goes backwards. And then the shark at one point, she manages to get to her den, drop the shells. The shark does another pass and then just leaves. Yeah, he can't get her once she's in there. Like that's a super safe, super safe spot. The best parts of this movie were the stuff that felt like a real nature documentary. Yeah. And we don't we haven't talked a lot about nature docs on the documentaries because sometimes it's hard to I would like to try more and mm-hmm. try to convey what we see. But with nature documentaries, it's just more so with those, it's like just watch it. You know what it is. It's all yeah. about the animals. Just watch it, right? Absolutely. At one point he thinks that she's trying to hunt the all these fish. Suddenly she's reaching up for the surface like that. Initially, I thought, she's hunting the fish. 
Tarantino's like, hold on. She's playing. It looks like she's dancing. Yeah. She's just, her tentacles are just all over and the fish are, don't even seem to be scared of her. They're not running away. She's just kind of touching them and, and floating around. And then all of a sudden, it's like she sees him and she darts over to him and she like attaches to his chest mm -hmm. and is just like yeah. hugging him. Yeah, and he's like petting her. Yeah, again, just like a kitten. And this was the last time that they had physical contact. Physical contact. Yeah. Because uh, after a, a, a very rough day, some rough choppy waters, he goes down to her den, and what does he see? He sees another octopus with her, which is apparently very rare. Octopi, octopuses, pussies, octopuses <laughs> are very um, individual creatures. Solitary. But they got to fuck. He seems confused at first. There's points in which... Maybe he's just presenting it so that we all can, like, be educated by it. He's self-taught. I mean, he yeah. doesn't know these things because he's learned them before this. I'm really not convinced that he didn't know what was going on. Oh, I see what you mean. Or, he's trying to be dramatic. Or he was jealous. Well. You know, he might have been. He might have been because, because. All I could do at the time was just think of her. As soon as she has a friend that's not him, she doesn't need him anymore. <laughs> He knows that he's not gonna be he's not gonna be there anymore. But yeah, this this gentleman octopus They're is mating. There. They're and, mating. And the process of the mating, once she's knocked up, she then lays tens of thousands. Hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of he thousands. He said like half a million at some point. But the thing is, when that happens, the octopus stays in the den. Yeah, it basically takes so much of her body, like physically of her body, to produce these eggs and keep these eggs safe and get them to where they can be born, that it kills her. Yeah, it essentially takes all of her energy. And once these things hatch, there's no nursing or anything. They're all on no, their own. No, they're just gone. And then, I mean, then it's just and so a many, numbers game. So many are hatched, only a handful of hundreds of thousands, because... We'll a survive. lot of these in the ecosystem just become food. Yeah. And then the few that survive, you know, become the octo pussies that we know and love. Mm -hmm. But uh, all of the energy is devoted to her eggs, and she is just completely weak. At some point, he sees her washed out of her den. And at this point, I'm like, man, maybe you could, like, shove her back into it and get, try to give her another clam. But she might be too weak even just to do that. And he knows. And... The scavenging fish life also know, and that's when they come in to um, begin this the end cycle of this oct octopus's life. And he's actually there when a pajama shark comes and takes her away for the for the end. Yeah, at the end. And um, yeah, I mean it's very sad. He did mm -hmm. have a personal relationship with this octopus. Often I go to the place of her main den. And I just flirt above it and feel her there. Of course, I, I miss her. Um, <laughs> the son uh, is becoming more and more into diving as he gets older. Yeah, and they go down together all the time. And his son finds a little tiny octopus and he's I like know. playing with it. 
And he asks if that's one of her young. And if you're in that vicinity, it very why? I mean, could make sense. Could very well be. It was real sad though because um, when he went to go after that time with, in which they last touched, he didn't realize that was going to be the last time. Right, right. So when he went back down, he had made her this custom like S and M leather daddy outfit. <laughs> That could fit a, a, an octopus. And he was going to start presenting, like, it to her and what he was kind of looking for for their relationship going forward. And, of course, with the little custom leather daddy outfit, that's when he sees the other octopus. And it's like, well, shit. I'm picturing, like, a little harness with, like, eight holes. <laughs> you know what would have been the best ending of this movie? Like, just, like, a faraway distant shot of his wife with her bags packed. Oh, God. I mean, they never actually mentioned her, aside from the part of the beginning where he said that his family was suffering. He never spoke of her or their relationship. He talked a lot about the kid at the end. He started a foundation to try to save the kelp forest, and it showed him, like, actually diving with a bunch of people. So, obviously, he's teaching folks, and he's trying to, like, move this forward and... I wonder if he's made love to his wife and accidentally called her octopus. <laughs> I was waiting for him to say, like, and then I started calling her Sally, you know, or whatever. Like, he right. gave her, like, a name. Like, her name was Amelia. He didn't, and I was very glad he didn't name I her. But too. you know, you know in his head. He had a name. He had a name for her. Hmm? Because. This guy can't keep his emotions inside his body. If he had a name for her, he would have said it. I think so. Unless, like, the filmmakers were like, no, no, we're not going to use that part. Because, what, what name would... Uh, but, like, it's... I mean, it is, like, a uh, pet, I, kind and then of. I, he and, acted like she was a pet. And then I called her Eva Braun. And they're like, no. <laughs> oh, no. Don't call her Eva Braun. I just mean, like, naming her at all. Like, let's keep the separation. My octopus teacher, Eileen Warnos. Oh, God. Belle Gunnis, my octopus teacher. Oh, man. Right? That's my octopus teacher. It does sound like uh, a hentai, but it's not. <laughs> it does. It does. <laughs> okay, Angela, this is the first time we've done this in over a year. Now, when we rate documentaries, we don't uh, use the star rating system. No, we sure as fuck don't. It's bullshit. It seems like other things are abandoning the star rating system as well. You know, Netflix abandoned it a long time ago. We don't use our thumbs either, though. Everybody no. uses their thumbs. Mm. Yeah, that Siskel and Ebert shit. There's no tomatoes involved. Mm-mm. We rate them in Herzogs. You're going to give this one through five Herzogs. I'm going to give this one through five Herzogs. We're going to combine them in our judgments for the best out of ten Herzogs. And that is what this movie will be rated for the rest of its existence. Yep. And, yeah, and any other reviewer rating doesn't fucking matter. That's nope. just the truth. Not if it was reviewed by, you know, not if they won an award, not if another podcast reviewed them mm. doesn't count mm. so angela what'd you think of my octopus teacher by Philippa ehrlich and james reed i think this was a very sweet movie okay i loved the octopus and i loved the underwater shots but i'm not gonna lie there were two times that when he was just talking i almost fell asleep mm. it's very calm voice He's kind of, it's almost like he's ASMR. If you're into that shit, yeah. <laughs> if you're into that shit, I would maybe recommend this movie. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, he's not wearing a bikini. I think that's what people <laughs> more want out of their a ASMR <laughs> experiences, you know. I thought it's a lot of hair brushing. Isn't a lot of hair brushing and like yeah, yeah. close mic talking? You have to like put your mouth really close to the mic and you 
breathe a lot when you're speaking. If I get a hundred more Venmo dollars <laughs> for a hundred more dollars in my Venmo, I'll change into another swimsuit. <laughs> this is like an internet cult subculture I'm referencing here. I know, I know. Hot tub, Look, hot tub Twitch. I've gr I've passed it by, but it's not something I watch. I just want to clarify that. <laughs> I only know about it because you told me. <laughs> go, go ahead. Uh, sorry. No, it's okay. I think the amount of footage that they had was amazing. I, I hated the name. I didn't really like the way the story was told. You hate told. the name Craig Foster? Yeah, me too. I hate the name Star. Because we talked about we hate stars. His full name is Human Star Craig <laughs> Foster. Yeah, it was, on a personal level with him, unrelatable. Like, unrelatable to this guy who can just, like, leave his life and go swim in the ocean all day. His basic lifestyle and ability to do whatever he wants is unrelatable, yeah. But, were I in that same position... Only could dream of having an experience sure. like this, right? The emotional connection is relatable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I totally understood that. I don't know that I wouldn't have protected her from sharks. I probably had I been have, there, yeah. I would have scared. I wouldn't have, like, touched them, but I would have fucking thrown something at them. Like, I would have protected her because I wouldn't be able to separate that. Overall, I think it could have benefited from, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of... Uh, You're a little out of practice. I'm a little out of practice. You can just go ahead and rate it. Okay, yeah. I'm going to say... <laughs> I'm going to give it a 2.5. Whoa, so it's like a 50-50 movie for you. Yes, because the footage and the octopus and the relationship, great. The heavy-handedness and like the reaching and the kind of, honestly... It, it was sleepy. I think that could have been better. Because mm. you were watching it at 1.30 a.m. <laughs> you, you, you're you rating this movie at 2.5 because it was tired and you were watching this at 1.30 in the morning. <laughs> okay. I mean, I could pretty much mirror everything you said. I particularly also really like octopus. Yeah. They taste good, too, I gotta say. Octopuses? <laughs> were you hungry watching this? No. <laughs> I was kind of feel, feeling bad. Thinking, there were I was like, oh, it's a kitty. And you were like, oh, it's dinner. I was thinking about like, I have eaten octopus before and enjoy it. And then it was like, oh, man. Because they're like uh, very intelligent. You know, yeah. it's like uh, like a chicken just looks dumb as fuck. Right. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> Although apparently if you get to know chickens, they're really great, too. Sure. I mean, I'm sure if we got the no one, then <laughs> we would never eat it. Anyway, beautiful movie. Yeah. A little heavy-handed, but I think the merits outweigh the forcedness of it. Okay. I'm going to give it a 3.75. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. I felt like your score was pretty low, but that's okay. We talked about being more... It's a C. ...discerning. I gave it a B, essentially. Yeah. I'm going to say 3.5, actually. Well, 3.5 plus 2.5 is a 6. Which I think is a good rating for this movie. Yeah. I guess maybe you'd expect more um, for one that won uh, Best Documentary. But this is kind of, the, the 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 elements of this is kind of fodder for the that Academy Award schlock, you know. But not a bad documentary. I'm Actually, I'm going to go back to 3.75, so it's a 6.25. Okay. 
out of 10 Herzogs. You're right, we are going to be a little more discernible. I promise that we would have more attitude. Uh, motherfucker. <laughs> so, this is the new and improved. So, yeah, my octopus teacher. Taking Cheryl, just stop it. If you don't stop, we're going to ramp it up harder. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you write something, we'll read it. I actually should go back. I think we've gotten a few reviews since we've left, so I should... I should uh, one episode soon just read all the reviews because I've been promising forever on multiple podcasts to read reviews. And on Documenteers, we actually have some, so I should actually read them. Right. I feel like I should give it another point two five because it was my fault I watched it at one thirty in the morning. No, it's okay. <laughs> you didn't really miss that much. I woke you up every time. <laughs> you were totally out. But we're done here. And um, yeah, my octopus teacher, 6.25. Oh, yeah. Now I feel awkward like I'm flailing. What do we say at the end? Oh. Keep on docking. You can come into my octopus world. I mean, in some crazy way, it was a relief. It was a relief because the intensity of going every day and tracking her um, and trying to capture it was, was tough in a way. I mean, I sort of slept, dreamt this animal. my mind thinking like an octopus it, it, it was also taxing in a way hope you folks like that episode the song beneath me playing us out is i believe a live track by vandegraaff generator called squid one and two plus octopus prog band from manchester over across the pond in england while editing this episode i pretty much went through the whole movie again and felt a little more sentimental about it than I did the first time. I kind of choked up a little listening to him be sad about losing his octopus friend. I'm sure you did too. Thank you for listening. It's good to be with you again. Let's hang out for a while. Huh? I'm totally vaxxed. I wear tank tops and basketball shorts now. I sleep until one in the afternoon and now my special purpose is back. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more for a long time, then hit us up with five stars and a written review on Apple Podcasts. Also recommend this show to anybody that likes documentaries and clips of cat sounds and subscribe to us pretty much everywhere if you haven't already. I'm not sure what we will be doing next week as of me recording this, but we will hit you up with a fun, breezy shorty later this week. I'm feeding on your enthusiasm for the return of the documenteers right now. I'm, co- I'm cooking up your love and appreciation in a special lab in a double wide trailer and it might blow up on me, but I plan on spreading this junk around doc junk. With attitude, motherfucker. It feels good to say it again. Say it with me. Keep on docking.